Please join me in prayer. God, we ask that we may join you and Jesus with the disciples and all those within earshot. That we may know what it means to love more fully, more deeply, more broadly. And that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. But love your enemies... Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. If you open up your favorite news source on any given day, you are most likely to get an eyeful or an earful reiterating the things you value and the issues you stand for, in some subtle or not some subtle ways. Your news organization knows that about you. It knows why you go to them again and again. And the things you hate, they're willing to stress for you. And the things you like, they may steer you toward those. If you want to do any comparison of these kind of alternative universes that are going on, you can do as one member told me his son has encouraged him to do, to flip back and forth between MSNBC and Fox News and see the two different realities going on. Pick your choices, the op-ed pages of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, Breitbart or Democracy Now!, you can list any number of news sites. They know us, they know what we care about, and they know how to influence and sway us. And you are likely to get what sociologists call confirmation bias, which is our tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of our existing beliefs or theories. Now, some of these differences among us as a nation are knit into our very founding. The ways we treated Native people and the way we were divided about the issue of slavery. They are also knit into the ways that different cultures and habits landed on these shores. They are also knit into our own individual understandings and comfort of how we view law and order, tolerance and inclusion, diversity and unity. We all have different ways of looking at these ways of being in the world. My concern is that the media and our politicians have figured us out well enough to exaggerate the division among us, to force us to choose camps, to take sides, whipping us up into a frenzy over our differences, playing into our fears, whatever they may be, exploiting our differences, and magnifying the divisiveness and the enmity among us, often making us enemies unnecessarily. And in our public and media perception, the camps are getting more and more pushed to the extremes, at least more so than in recent living memory. I often wonder what it'd be like if when you opened your favorite news source, they led with the good news first. Imagine if they could show more of people coming together, of people helping one another, lifting up those stories just a little bit higher, of people actually practicing the golden rule of doing unto others as you would have it be done unto you, of people working constructively on their common problems and challenges. I wonder what that would do to us as a culture and a nation if we led with the good news. Now, 
I don't believe that the division and enmity is yet as bad as it was in 1860, but we all need to be paying attention because I believe we're getting played in some harmful ways. And we should especially be paying attention to what Jesus tells us here in the Gospel of Luke, also in Matthew's account on the Sermon on the Mount. I tend to take this divisiveness in our country very personally, because as many of you know, it divides my family right down the middle. There are four of us in my living family of origin, and we are divided right down the middle on theology and politics. Some of you are in families like that as well. My brother and my mother tend to lean more conservative. My sister and I lean more liberal. And yet, we get together and celebrate family gatherings and have vacations together, and we are civil to one another. I've tried to enter into this conversation more with my brother lately to ask him how is it we grew up with the same parents, the same public schools, the same church, the same Sunday school, and yet we are so different in our outlook. And I have to tell you, it's been hard to have these conversations because we're a little scared of them. Sometimes I think the scariness is because of what we hear in the media and less is what is going on in our own relationship. Now, I have to tell you that even though my brother doesn't support gay marriage, he came to our wedding, and Robert and I have always been welcome as guests in his home. Our churches diverge quite greatly on interpretation and the teaching on several subjects, including creation science, but we talk about the mutual task of doing church. What does it mean to empower leaders? What does it mean to let people know the love of God? What does it mean to really follow Jesus? And most recently, my siblings and I have found a harmonious way of helping care for our mother as she ages and has health complications. And much of this, I believe, has to do with the way our parents taught us about the love of God and how we exemplify that as a family. Last night, my brother and I were talking about this sermon, and we were talking about issues that we cared about. I asked him in the November election what he cared most about when he went into the polling booth, and he said, abortion, the debt, and immigration. And it made me think about what were my top issues when I went into the voting booth, and I thought it was income inequality, racism and bigotry among us, and the environment. My brother and I had some time together in April in which we actually were able to talk about some of these issues. I think it helped that it was tempered by some Brazilian friends who were with us who sort of stood a middle ground with us, and we talked a little bit about immigration, and I realized we weren't on, in two different places with each other about it. We agree that our current immigration policies are a mess and that figuring out the solution to a fair and just and human-valuing immigration policy is a hard road to, to follow and one that our politicians haven't figured out and often don't have the political will to figure out. Last night, my brother said to me, if we were left up to the two of us to solve the immigration situation in this country, I'm confident that we would focus first on our mutual values, primarily our concern for human flourishing of the children of God, and come up with a plan of shared interests and hopes. Similarly, when my brother and I talked about gun control, this was shortly after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting in Parkland, Florida, very near his house, I realize we're pretty much on the same page about wanting safety first for our nation, which they say 70% of us are pretty much on the same page about that. 
And yet we are driven apart further and further, assumed to be in camps whether we talk to one another at the base level, at the ground level, at all. The question my brother gave me, which is searing in my head and my heart, is what does love require of me? What does God's love require of me? The love that Jesus is talking about, that agape kind of love is what they called it in Greek. It's not eros, which is about attraction and desire. It's not philia, which is about friendship and shared interest. It's agape love, which is about a magnanimity for the whole world. It's the kind of love God has for each one of us. It's the kind of love we talk about in the words of assurance that nothing can come between us and the love of God. It is always there for us, no matter how we get out of touch with God, no matter how much we get out of touch and at enmity with one another. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King wrote a wonderful sermon about this topic of loving your enemies now over 50 years ago, describing agape love as understanding and creative Redemptive goodwill for all people. And at this level, we love people not because we like them, not because their ways appeal to us, not even because they possess some kind of divine spark. We love every person because God loves them. I've come to believe that at their heart, most people are decent people trying to make sense of this life in the best way they can, trying to do decent things in decent ways. And we are all of us, as we just heard in our membership joining, a mix of good and bad, of benevolence and malevolence. Dr. King said, it's good news that Jesus didn't call us to like our enemies, because that's most likely impossible. But we are called to love them to hope and pray for the best in them, that they might find contentment and love and joy in the pursuit of happiness in healthy and whole ways, just as we would wish for those nearest and dearest to us. Now, some of you may know there's an effort in Brookline right now called the Better Angels Project, which is actually having workshops and seminars trying to teach people to learn how to listen to one another, to listen across the divides and really understand what our common purpose is. And I discovered in looking around that there's a book going to be published next month called Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from a Culture of Contempt, written by the fiscal conservative Arthur C. Brooks. And part of his recipe, not too different from Dr. King's recipe over 50 years ago, is that we need to replace contempt with empathy. We need to focus on the many values where we agree rather than the few where we disagree. And we need to embrace each other's common humanity. Brooks writes, Your opportunity when treated with contempt is to change at least one heart, your own. You may not be able to control the actions of others, but you can absolutely control your own reaction. You can break the cycle of contempt. And the thrust of this book is that we need to learn to listen better and to disagree better not in the rageful, incendiary, accusatory ways we hear all the time in the airwaves, but in the intentional, thoughtful, and mutually respectful ways, and to require that of one another. So I'm going to suggest that the next time you find your blood boiling over some news item or some op-ed or something perhaps even a relative sends you on Facebook, try to move past the usual confirmation bias 
and ask some questions. What do we have in common? The first answer is most likely, well, we are both human beings. And I would encourage you to think about it theologically. We are both children of God, and God loves us both. And then ask some deeper questions. What is this person seeking? What are they needing? How does that correspond to my needs, my hopes? Where is our shared humanity this? And where is our shared hope for the ones that we love, the ones that are nearest and dearest to us, for the communities and people and places where we inhabit? How might we find common ground? Or where are there holes in my argument? Or where are there blind spots in my point of view? And where am I curious to know more? As Dr. King reminded us, and I would remind you in this, loving is not the same thing as liking. It is not the same as approving or condoning. It is certainly not the same as agreeing. It is much deeper than that. It's about this recognition that we're all in this together, our shared identity as children of God, and living into that awareness more intentionally. It means keeping at it day by day. Now, I happen to believe that as Christians, we still need to follow the prophets and Jesus' imperative that we look out for the weakest and most vulnerable among us, not only in our personal lives, but also in our national policies. I believe that we should be vigilant about the ways that our consumer capitalist-driven economy squeezes out those people. I think it also means we have to be We have to honor the ways that we are all of us made in God's image and fight racism and bigotry in all its forms, including in ourselves. Because, you see, Jesus is calling us again and again to a bigger kind of love. And I invite you to reread that passage again that we just heard to remind yourself of what that looks like in hard ways. Because you and I are called to be children of the Most High to the one who is kind to both the ungrateful and the wicked, to the loving and the caring. You and I are called to be merciful, to be compassionate, just as our Creator has been merciful and compassionate and continues to be with us. And that trusting in that, we may still have hope of finding a better way. Amen.